This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. A creepy post on the internet has everyone asking, what in the world is a jelly bean? Then we revisit two past episodes. Is it possible that there is a dead rabbit radio expanded universe? Quite an odd question. And then finally we head off to Russia to take a sleigh ride with two dudes. It's a wild, wintry storm. We can't even see the road in front of us. But when two hitchhikers jump on board this sleigh, we have no idea we're about to take a detour to the realm of the unknown. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys have some fun plans for the day as you're listening to this episode. we got a bunch of stuff to cover, so first off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our newest Patreon supporters. Everyone, give it up for Riley. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Jumping on into Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Riley, we actually gave him a salute earlier in the season. He also was one of the Oregon Ghost Conference live attendees. He showed up to support Dead Rabbit Radio in person and then shortly afterwards supported the Patreon. We really, really appreciate all of it. Riley, you're going to be our captain or pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. I really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. It really, really does. You also can vote in the Paranormality Magazine Paranormal Podcast of the Month. I have that down below. Check in the show notes and vote for Dead Rabbit Radio. That'd be really cool as well. Riley, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the firing pin for a new vehicle. We'll see if we'll see if we ever use it again. Everyone climb on board or inside the Lego Morph Launcher. You're like, wait, what? Isn't that another term for a rabbit? We hop in a Lego, sounds like a bionicle. We hop in the Lego Morph, Lago Morph, whatever. Never mind, just leave that vehicle. Here's the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Riley, drive us all the way into the internet. We're becoming ones and zeros as we're flying through the internet. We're all the lawnmower man just flying through 1990s level CGI. We're all blocky and stuff. Headed into the internet. And as we're flying through, we're like swimming through Google and we're like walking around Yahoo. We're like, no one ever uses this. Is it still even a website? We visit the ancient ruins of Friendster. Torches in hand, looking at old profiles. We're like, wow, this is what our parents used to use to go online. Big giant spiders crawling through. Spooky. Now, those are the places we all know of. But unfortunately, we know there are darker places online. And then somewhere in between, there's just weird stuff that makes us wonder, what in the world is that? What in the world is this? A while, and I don't remember, I got this, this was found, I don't think this was found on the X board. I don't remember where it was found. 
But someone posted this online, this image. I'll put it in the show notes, but I'm going to clip out the web address because here's the thing. I don't know where this web address actually leads you. And that's kind of the point of this story. That's kind of the point of this story. This was posted, originally this image was posted somewhere on 4chan, but I'm not, I don't remember where I saw it. It might have been on the Politically Incorrect board, which does have this weird quasi crossover with the X board from time to time. Now this is has I, I don't even know how to explain this. Let's go ahead and start off with this. It's just an image somebody posted and goes, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. It's from a website called Skyrimsex.com. <laughs> You're like, oh Jason, oh no. It's my favorite game. What could this possibly be? So apparently Skyrimsex.com is a surface level website. We can type it in, don't recommend doing it at work. And you can, I briefly went there, you because I never played the game. <laughs> I never played the game, and I'm not into porn or CGI porn in particular. It is, you. if I remember correctly, you can buy video of Skyrim. If you don't know what you're like, Jason won the world Skyrim. I don't know anything about that. It's a video game. It's like a Dungeons & Dragons style video game where you're like first person, you walk around with a sword in one hand, shoot fireballs at dragons and stuff like that. Skyrim. I never played it. Skyrimsex.com. It's a website where you could like let's say that you want to see a dragon have sex with a young maiden. For $9.99, you can watch that. You can get like a animation of just a dragon going rawr and the maiden going, oh my. I don't actually know. I don't know if there's any sound effects to it. But it's that. It's I guess fan made. I hope. I hope the actual developers aren't like, well, we need more money for our game. Let's turn to porn. Skyrim Sex. Well, buried deep within the Skyrim Sex website, because it's SkyrimSex.com. And again, I just don't know what this is. It doesn't sound innocent. I'm not saying that the SkyrimSex.com mods or anyone know anything about this, if they even know this is hidden on their site. But SkyrimSex.com, and then it has this giant series of letters and numbers after it, will take you to a website, and this is what it says. This is the image that was presented to us. A screenshot. It says, Welcome to the Jelly Bean Catalog. It's possible that this is an ARG. It's possible it could be a whole, a whole bunch of things, and that's what I find interesting about this. Not so interesting that I actually visited this site. There, long-time conspiracy theory researchers know when to stop. Just be like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking at this image. It's not an image, actually. I'll, again, I'll have it in the show notes. It's it, it, Technically, it is an image, but it's just text, a screenshot of text. It says, welcome to the Jelly Bean Catalog. We have, this is what it says on here, we have five surviving jelly beans remaining. Within this encrypted zip file is a EXE file that will allow you to connect to a secure server in order to browse our current catalog of remaining jelly beans. And then it has a link there to the zip file. If you're reading this, you'll already know the password to the zip file. You won't be able to access the .exe without the password. Be advised that the .exe and the zip file will record your IP address and that we reserve the right to block access to anyone at any time. And that's all it says. And some guys took a screenshot of that. I'll see if I can find the actual post where where he did end up posting this, but he took a screenshot of this 
and goes, what is this? And it's almost like a Rorschach test for how evil or how... Well, so here's the thing. when Generally, when you see something like that, the, you're like, Jason, please don't go into detail. We all kind of have opinions of what this could be. Welcome to the jelly bean catalog. We have five surviving jelly beans remaining. Could be the beginning of an ARG. If it is, I apologize for wasting your time. However, in this case, that would be the best case scenario. It sounds like it has something to do, because they're using the term jelly bean, which sounds innocent, it sounds something related to sex trafficking. That's what I would guess. We have five surviving jelly beans remaining. If you know the password, you can get into this. So that would mean that there's already a password out there that an insular community would know. And then, you know, they say, hey, once you go on this, your IAP address is going to get recorded. And if someone said that to a normal person, they'd be like, no, I'm good. Like, of course, listen, our IP addresses are recorded at all times. But we'd be like, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll allow cookies. But but if you were already part of this community and someone else is going to find out your IP address, you'd be like, well, they already know me. So what does it matter? That's kind of like a warning to normies. Like, I'd be like, no. And again, all, all everything in this scream, don't even type. I didn't even, I honestly did not even want to go to Skyrim Sex at first. I still don't now that I know what it is. But when I first saw it, I was like, do I even want to type that in? Like, sure, that's a service level site. But who knows what is going to be on there? Luckily, it was just dragons having sex with maidens or orcs having sex with squires or whatever, right? All this CGI stuff. What is this? That was really the question that was presented to the other people on the forum. What is? What does this mean? We have five surviving jelly beans remaining. And it's a question that has no answer, right? We're not part of that community. We don't know. It could be a euphemism for sex trafficking. That would be the worst thing, right? Anything to do with children, anything to do with sex trafficking in general, that would be the worst. It could have something to do with drugs. Unlikely, right? Because they use the term surviving jelly beans. It could have something to do with exotic pets. It could have, it could have something to do with all sorts of illegal activity. But because the terminology, you know, if you were selling rare pythons, you would want to make sure the police weren't able to find out where your python farm was. They didn't know that you had one in Nebraska. Selling them illegally. But again, it's just you, you, you'd probably use terms like we have five Cobra commanders left or we have five action figures or whatever. I don't know. We have five G.I. Joe villain action figures that can wrap around your neck and kill you. The cops are like, oh, what? Do they mean snakes? Who knows? But it's creepy because it's just sitting on the surface web and it may be nothing. It may be everything. There may be five. If, in fact, the fact that they say they have five surviving jelly beans remaining makes you think that how many were there originally and either passed away or were sold who who knows what this is there's just a creepy reminder of what's out there just lurking and if you're not part of that group you are completely unaware of it who knows what it is I remember once a long time ago, I, I wish, I, I think I had taken a screenshot of this a long time ago. Someone had posted this again and said, what is this? What does this mean? There was a screenshot or a web address for an eBay item for a laser disc. And 
this laser disc this on eBay this guy sold nothing but laser discs so he sold like Top Gun on laser disc and Red Dawn Tron all this stuff all these movies on laser disc but in his catalog in his wares he had one laser disc that had no title had no image but the image of a laser disc so no cover to it it was just the image of a laser disc and he was selling these other laser discs i don't you know $100 something like that maybe $200 for Tron or Red Dawn or something like that this particular laser disc was far more expensive than the others. It was close to $1,000 for this laser disc. No image, no cover art for this laser disc. It was titled, the posting was titled, something, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but something to the effect of, if you are bidding on this, you know what it is. And it sold. It got posted. It sold, everything else this guy sold was legit laser discs, but what was that? If you know what, if you're bidding on this, you know what it is. You think the worst. You hope maybe he just happens to have like a bootleg Shrek. He's like, yes, it's Shrek, the German cut, with Chris Farley's original voice, you, you know. But why would he not say what it was? If you're hiding it, it would be like something you're trying to hide, so... There's weird little things out there on the internet and normal people just go, I wonder what that could be. I fear the worst. I hope the best. But the people in these communities go, oh, there's only five surviving jelly beans remaining. Better see what they got. They type in their password. Creepy. Or maybe not. Maybe, maybe they just have five Burmese pythons and a guy wants to get a hug. He's tired of just sitting alone and he wants to feel the comfort of a reptile squeezing his neck. That's the best we could hope for. <laughs> not, that, not that a man would be killed by a python, but you know what I mean. Riley, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Let's de-digitize ourselves. <laughs> We're leaving behind the internet. Glide us all the way out to Germany. And take the long route, Riley. Let's pass over Iceland while we're at it. We're going to take these headwinds north. We'll fly over Iceland and then continue our journey out to Germany. I was talking to an old friend of mine. He goes by the name Crinklesnitch. Not in real life, that is his internet alias. Crinklesnitch, I was hanging out with him the other day. And he's a big fan of Dead Rabbit Radio, listens to the show. And he goes, hey, remember that episode you did a long time ago about the Highwayman? The Black Magic Bandit. And I go, yeah, actually, I think I go, what? Maybe he kind of had to talk about it a while. I was like, oh, that one. Yeah, he was talking about episode 891. It was called The Man with the Bloody Bag. And this is a documented German serial killer named Peter Nears. Who in the mid-1500s, and I'll put these episodes in the show notes, but in the mid-1500s, he was a bandit, a highwayman, who claimed to have killed 544 people over the course of his career. And some people go, that's puppycock. He obviously admitted to that under torture. But I would imagine if I was being tortured, I'd be like, it was just two. Ah! But, I mean, if they kept pulling out my toenails... I might add a couple if they wanted me to. They're like, no, more and more. We're like, oh, okay, 544. But he was at work for so long, and he worked with other gangs, and he was just 
marking this bloody path across Germany. 544 might be pretty accurate. It might be, you might kind of been lowballing it. It's like, yeah, that was all. 544. His eyes are darting from side to side as they're being pulled out with hot pinchers. It was known in the area that he used black magic rituals to escape from police. He was very, very hard to capture. <laughs> Obviously not impossible. He didn't get captured, tortured, and then executed. But it was really hard to capture him. And he definitely did practice black magic. The question is, how effective was it? Was this just superstition that he was, you know, working off of, right? People were scared of the possibility of black magic. Or did he actually have access to the dark arts. Whether or not you believe in that, he did, and he carried around these implements that allowed him to do this stuff. So some people, and the, the reason why I say that is, some people say that he could shapeshift, that he could turn into a dog or a cat or a tree to evade capture. While more modern historians say, no, nah, he, he probably didn't turn into a cat. He probably didn't turn into a cat. However, we do believe he was a master of disguise. Like, there definitely was this prolonged attempt to capture him. And we do know that he was very, very skilled in hiding his identity. Sometimes he would appear as a leper, so that would be perfect, right? No one would want to be around you. Sometimes he would appear as a leper. Sometimes he would appear as a guard. Sometimes he would appear as all these different members of society, whatever he needed to do to get the job done. But... Three things were always constant about him. Because the people who worked with him, this way he worked for multiple criminal organizations over the years. A lot of times he disguised himself as a shepherd because shepherds were considered the most criminal class. He's a hilarious stereotype because nowadays, like shepherds are just people who hang out with sheep. You figure they're pretty harmless, little Bo Peep. But before, because shepherds were going from place to place, a lot of criminals pretended to be shepherds. So they got that stereotype of being of the criminal type. Anyways, he always had these three things about him. He was an, he was a, he used black magic all the time. Everybody knew that. He knew that. He was arrested. The way that they caught him was he dropped off a bag at a hotel and said, hey, hold on to this. I'm going to go to the bathhouse. And when the shopkeeper opened up the bag, because he's curious, it was dripping blood. It was a bloody bag. It was full of hands and hearts from fetuses. So, you know, the the worst play, if it was an elderly man's hand and an old woman's heart, you're like, oh, they lived a good life. But if they're from a fetus, that's even worse. And so he definitely used black magic in one way or the other. But anyways, they arrested him because that's pretty incontributable evidence. You can't be like, oh, those weren't mine. You did hand them to me and said, don't look in the bag. They're mine. He always had three things on him. Well, four if you count the bag of baby body parts. Three. He always had a two-handed broadsword on him. Which kind of odd to see a leper walking around with that. But anyways, he always had a two-handed broadsword. He had two pistols tucked in the trousers, tucked in each sleeve of his, or what is it, pant leg or whatever, the things that your legs go into on your pants. Those. Two revolvers or two pistols. And he always had money on him. Always had money on him. Anyone who was around him, Anyone who worked with him said he always had money on him at all times, which is funny because you figure, if, why, is he, why is he robbing all these people if he always has money? You go, Jason, he always has money because he's robbing all these people. It's the ultimate chicken and the egg. He always has money on him. Practiced the black arts, practiced dark magic, killed a ton of people. No remorse. Well, Crinkle Snitch 
listen to that episode. And he goes, you remember that story you did about the highway bandit who always carried a broadsword and had the pistols and no matter what, always had money on him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. As he, as he reminded me a little bit more about it, I go, yeah. Krinklesnitch goes, I bet he had a pair of necro pants too. I bet he had on a pair of necro pants and that's why he always had money. Now the necro pants was an item I covered months later, maybe a long time later. Necropants was a more recent episode. It's an Icelandic black magic ritual where, I'll put the episode in the show notes, but if you have a friend voluntarily, he goes, when I die, you can cut the skin off. You can cut my skin off below my waist. Make a pair of pants out of my skin. If you do that, you have to take them all off in one slice. It's a very, very delicate procedure. And then you put them on. You put them on yourself. I On that early episode, I go, I don't know if it had toes. I did look at a photograph later. It had toes. You had to get all your toes into their toes. You had to pull the skin, had to pull the skin up over your own. And once it was all the way up to your waist, they they say that the pants were like your own skin. You're like, this is a really comfortable fit. You can never gain weight. You're like, ah, no pie for me. I'm wearing my friend's dead flesh. They're like, what? I have to watch my shape. Otherwise, I'll burst out of the skin. The skin will perfectly fuse with your own. However, part of the ritual is, because you have to, it has to be a male. It has to be a male friend. You have to perfectly, like, cut around the testicles and all that stuff, all the junk. And then... You put a gold coin into the testicle, into the empty ball sack, and then you pull them up over yours, and you're like, oh, that's going to cause a rash. Having that coin rub up against my testicles. As long as that coin, that's your worst worry, you're like, oh, it's light rash as maggots are devouring your new pair of pants. As long as you have that coin in the testicle, in the nutsack, you will have access to unlimited money. You can just reach into the pants constantly like you're like squeezing your hand in. You pull out a wad of bills. It's all mucusy. You have access to unlimited money. You'll never be out of money. You just reach into the pants and you can pull out money. And that was... Creakleson just goes, I wonder if he had a pair of necro pants. And that's definitely possible. Talk about like inner circles. Talk about like hidden societies. You there I do believe that this type of magic is real. I can't specifically say that the necro pants are real, but they might be. But I do believe that there are magical rituals out there that people in high level circles share with each other. And for for the most part we see that in modern society as like astrology like uh, people following astrology to make business decisions or doing yoga to like open up your chakras so you can make good decisions throughout the day it's there that type of stuff is no longer hidden astrology and yoga used to be i mean like when i was a kid yoga was considered satanic by a wide swath of americans so was astrology but those things are more like open but it used to be far far more hidden like you could get killed for being an astrologist back in the day you could be killed for being an astronomer back in the day. So that would basically be just like, I I mean, you know, I don't want to qualify any of those things as magic, but once you start talking about opening up your chakras and third eyes and stuff like that, yeah, sure, that would definitely qualify as magic if you're looking at the purest form of the word. But when we're talking about dark magics, these hidden rituals, 
there would be no difference between someone who carried around a bag of baby body parts and someone who's wearing dead human flesh. And who's to say that these rituals aren't working in some fashion or another? If you believe in the existence of magic, then yeah, these these rituals may work. And these stories would spread. These tales would spread, not among the general populace, but you would have if you had... Just recently we did that story, and this was in the late 1800s, about the piano player who traveled the world. And since he was such a famous piano player, he was hobnobbing with powerful people. And he wasn't just going to like these these low-level seances where two sisters were knocking on a table. He was meeting powerful psychics and channelers in the highest levels of society, and they taught him the secrets. They taught him stuff far beyond what you could learn if you went to some workshop on a weekend. You wanted to learn about, you know, channeling spirits or reading something online. And he used that to channel the spirits of the great composers. You would see somebody like Peter Nears, a practicing black magic warlock, running into somebody who knew the secrets of the necropants. Even the fact that they're separated, really the necropants we see come out of 17th century Iceland. He's operating in 1500s Germany, but that doesn't mean the necropants were first invented in Iceland in the 1700s. That's really when people became aware of them. Some people say they didn't exist at all. It's just an urban legend. But... I mean, that's the best way to hide something like that. It's, it's disgusting, right? Most people aren't going to do it. And the necropants are transferable as well. Peter Nears would seem like he'd be someone to steal it, but you can transfer him as you're dying. See, here's the thing. Before you die, you have to get rid of the pants. Otherwise, you'll be cursed in hell. You'll, your afterlife will be a complete bummer. So if one, if there was another level of criminal, black magic criminal in this circle of Peter Nears, right? You would hobnob with each other, and some guy may be like, listen, I need to get rid of these pants. Peter, do you want them? Just put your legs in here, and you'll have unlimited riches. It's interesting. It would totally make sense that the necropants are older than their discovery. It's not like someone goes, I invented the necropants. The next day, a priest goes, take those pants off. Like, they would have been around long enough to show that they work, that they have these rules that they can be passed down and things like that. So isn't that's super interesting. It's totally possible that Peter Nears was wearing a pair of the necro pants because even among other robbers, even among other criminals who would often have money on them because they're robbing people, they're not working for it, and then they'd blow it at a bar, blow it on prostitutes, have all these parties. Even among people who are professional criminals, when they had to describe Peter Nears, they said three things about him. His giant sword, his two pistols, and he always had money on him. More so than any other robber, more so than any other person they had ever known. So is it possible that the reason why he always had access to the cash is because he was wearing a pair of necropants? The Dead Rabbit Radio Extended Universe. Yes, I love it. That's it. Those really those only two stories. I, we've been able to connect... One or two things over the years, maybe a little bit more, but fascinating. I love that. And I love that you guys are kind of putting those pieces together. I think that just adds so much to the show, so much to this community of paranormal researchers. Absolutely fascinating. Riley, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Germany. We all got a new pair of pants. We're all fit. We're all squeezed into one pair of pants. We're the richest people around. We're leaving behind Germany. Take us all the way out to... Russia. 
As we're getting closer to Russia, specifically we're headed to the Samara region, we notice it's getting colder. Colder and older, as they always say. It's getting colder and older. We're starting to turn sepia-toned. We're headed back to the year 1912. It's January 1912, a brutal winter in Russia. (sighs) Super, super cold. Good thing we're all snuggled in this giant pair of necro pants. We're headed out to the banks of the River Volga at nighttime. This is the worst way to start off a story. It's super cold. We can't really see anything. And then all of a sudden, we're standing on the side of the road and we see two sleds go by. We I don't think they were saying we. They were trapped in the middle of a snowstorm. They got to get home before they die. They're in sledges, which I think is the same term as a sled. I don't know if they were horse-drawn or if they were just like kicking their, kicking their legs. We. Going down, there's just one giant hill that takes them back downtown. I don't know. I think there probably was horses involved in this, but it wasn't specific. So maybe they are just maybe they're toboggans there in garbage can lids. Anyways, we're standing on this road and we see two people go by. You have a man. His name is Mr. V. Ditchkin. Ditchkin. We'll just call him Ditchkin. And and then his friend, his friend doesn't have a name, we'll just call him Tony. So Ditchkin is in one sledge, Mush, or Wee, we don't know, do one of the two. And then in the sledge in front of him is actually Tony, and they're headed home through this snowstorm. And then all of a sudden, Ditchkin is going in his sledge, and he sees down the road, he sees two dudes just kind of standing there. This is a bad storm. This is a bad storm even for Russia. He's like, oh man, this totally sucks. Hey guys, you don't want to be stuck out in the snowstorm. Hop on the back of my sledge and I will take you to my place. I'll take you to my... This is the original grinder. They're like, oh no. Well, you know, we might as well get on this guy's sledge. We'll see what the journey leads to. And Ditchkin's like, yes. So they hop on the back of his sledge and he begins... Continuing the sledge down the road. Tony sees all this. Tony looks back and sees the two strangers getting on Ditchkin's sledge. And Tony's like, ah, typical Ditchkin. Always picking up the hitchhikers. A <laughs> teardrop falls from his eyes. Like, oh, I should have picked up those hitchhikers. I need friends too. The sledges continue to go through the snowstorm until eventually the hitchhikers are like, Ditchkin, Ditchkin. Um, we're never going to make it back to your town. The snowstorm is too bad. It's super, super cold outside. How about we go to this nearby town that way? And the hitchhiker points out into the woods and Ditchkin's like, what? There's no town out there. We're just going to keep going to my town. I have no idea what you're talking about. Let's keep going. Hush, hush, or mush, mush, whatever. And so the sledge continues and the hitchhikers are like, no, we really should go. We're not going to make it to your town. Let's turn right here. We'll go through the woods. There's a town that way. And Ditchkin's like, there's no town that way. There's no town that way at all. But as he's saying that, he notices that his sledge is starting to slowly begin to turn into the forest. And even though he knows there's no town that way, even though with all of his might he's trying to keep the sledge on the road, eventually he is traveling through the forest at this point. He goes, I don't know why I did it. And I knew there was nothing out there, but they just kept telling me to go into the forest to the nearest town And I started to. 
I started to ride my sledge through the forest. The snow is blinding. The night is dark. And yet the sledge continues to travel through the forest. And Ditchkin, he just doesn't know what to do. He can't control where he's going. The hitchhikers just keep going a little bit further, a little bit further. We'll find the town. Ditchkin turns around and he sees Tony has also now come off the road and is following them. Probably concerned for his friend. He's probably like, dude, where the hell is Ditchkin going? They're now both going through the forest. And it's just, there's nothing in front of them. Like, you might see a tree before you hit it type of forest. But luckily, they don't smash into anything. They're just riding through the snowstorm. And then Ditchkin's like, I I've, I've, don't know what's going on and I can't turn around. When suddenly one of the hitchhikers says, there it is. And he points straight ahead and Ditchkin looks up. There's a massive city in the middle of the forest. Ditchkin is able to stop his sled and shortly afterwards, Tony comes up right alongside of him. And they look at each other and then they look out and... Into the middle of this forest is this sprawling city of light. Neither of the men, neither of neither Tony nor Ditchkin had ever seen anything like this before. They said the lights were arrayed in such a dazzling fashion, it almost boggled the mind. The architecture of this amazing city in an area where there was no city. They were trying to get they were trying to get back to their village, their small town. But here they're looking at this spectacular tableau of architecture and lights sprawled out before them. Structures they could have never imagined having been built. Just arrayed in the form of this beautiful massive city sitting in the forest. Sitting in the forest. Tony and Ditchkin can't believe what they're seeing. Like, literally can't believe it. This place shouldn't exist. Not just in the forest, but anywhere. They've never seen anything like this before. And while they are taking in the beauty, a deep and dark horror begins to creep into their souls. Ditchkin Ditchkin begins to feel a deep, true fear that he's never felt before. He's never been this scared before, standing in front of this city, but he knows that he does not belong here. Not only does he not belong here, this will be the end of him if he stays any longer. And Tony, feeling the exact same thing, they both turn their sledges around and power off back through the dark forest, trying to find their way back to the road. In a panic, they're driving their sledges through the snow. They can barely see a few feet in front of them, but they need to leave the area, and they continue to go through this forest. They're trying to find some way out. Ditchkin turns around and he looks. The strangers are nowhere to be seen. And the city itself has completely vanished as well. Ditchkin 
doesn't hesitate. There will be times for questions later as to what he actually saw. He continues to drive his sledge deeper through the forest until him and his friend finally find the road once more and head home. This was a story I found on thinkaboutadocs.com. They they source uh, two magazines. Uh, both of them are out of print. Uh, one was from 1914. One was published back in 1914. So that's pretty close to the date of the story. You know, just a couple of years later. And then um, there it was. The story was told again in a magazine called NLO Magazine which was a Russian UFO magazine, which didn't um, start publishing until 1994. So there we obviously have a bigger time period. Fit with what we know about... And listen, I, I could have easily I could have easily called this Fairy Week. I've done multiple fairy stories this week. And everyone knows how much I dislike fairy stories. But this is one of those stories that kind of has some fairy elements to it as well. The whole idea of being transported away by the fae folk. What I like about this is, one, it's not necessarily a fairy story. We have to ask ourselves, what is it? Were the hitchhikers lost and couldn't find their way home and they didn't need a ride? And they happened to hop on this guy's sledge. Is it possible that they were there to abduct these humans? The point is, is that it kind of reminds me of this idea of the two worlds, the other, us and the other. And I think that's where Faithful comes into this, this idea of this city that you could get teleported to. What's interesting about these type of events, right, is the fear. The fear of it all. Think about it this way. If you were wandering through the woods and you saw something that could be described as the most beautiful architecture you've ever seen, these dazzling lights, not just lighting up the darkness, but this is safety. They are driving through the snowstorm. They may not make it home. And they come across this beautiful city. You think it would be refuge. You think you would be... Listen, at the very least, you would enjoy the scenery, right? Maybe it's just a sunny day and you're seeing it. At the very least, you would enjoy looking at it. But on a on a night where you may die, you may not make it home to see something like this, it would be the same thing as if you were driving home and you saw a cabin in the woods with a fire going. <laughs> it's, it's on fire. Sorry, guys. You came here a little bit earlier. It would have been nice and toasty. You drive by, a, you're sledding through the middle of nowhere. And you see a cottage and it has a little warm glow and there's smoke coming out of the smokestack and you go inside and maybe there's like a kindly old grandma. She's like, oh, travelers, here's some soup. You're like, glug, glug, glug. It would, that, it would be safety. It would be safety. And you figure like that's what that city would have represented. But then that just deep, unnatural fear developed in both of these men. And they turned around. Even though none of the stories, none of the elements of the story are necessarily scary, the mind control part would be, right? He didn't want to go that direction. He knew. He knew going off in that direction without a city, it would be certain death. Driving through the dark through a forest, they're definitely, they're definitely going to freeze to death. So the mind control part would have been scary, but there was nothing else menacing about this. And yet that fear still welled up in them. 
and they took off running. And in, in the end, it saved their lives. They were able to tell this story. But where does that fear come from? And I wonder if everybody feels that fear when they see something like this. Is that something that... The reason why I say that is recently we did that episode about that boat sinking. We actually don't know what happened to the boat. It completely vanished. But that one guy on the boat, the one survivor of the boat, had that nightmare three nights in a row about the man standing on the boat before all the passengers holding a sword in one hand and a bloody rag in the other. And after after the third time of having the dream, he's like, I'm done. I'm getting off at the next stop. Saved his life. He was the only survivor. And I said in that episode, did other people have that dream? Did other people feel that fear but they just brushed it off they ignored it and it led to their demise and the demise of their loved ones who they were on the boat with and i'm bringing that up because imagine how many people may have encountered this sparkling city of lights and not listened to the fear maybe not even felt it You know, I think there's something to be said for the survivor instinct, and I don't think everybody has it. But these two men had it, and they realized something was seriously wrong, even though everything leading up to it, uh, there was a a mild case of mind control, but everything leading up to it was was totally fine, and yet they were filled with so much fear. They would rather take their chances driving back back through the pitch black forest than being here one more moment. In the presence of this magnificent city, they'd rather take their chances in the forest. How many people don't listen to that fear in their belly? How many people don't even hear it in the first place? They're dazzled by the lights. They're amazed by the architecture. They're in awe of the splendor. And they step into that magnificent city. Think about what type of raw elemental darkness must have been disguised in that moment to make those two men turn and run towards almost inevitable death. Think about what they must have felt in that moment that they would rather take their chances in the blizzard than stand there one more moment. What type of malevolent entities must have existed within that city to provoke such a reaction in these two men? We can only imagine what type of evil must have existed within that dazzling city of light. But to the people who don't listen to the fear, don't heed the warnings their own body is giving them, to those people who step into the city because they are so amazed by the beauty, they don't have to imagine. They would quickly learn firsthand what type of darkness can hide itself in a city of lights? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.